Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Well, our text is found in Acts chapter 11. If you can meet me there, Acts chapter 11. And if you travel 991 miles south of here, you will run into America's first settlement, a place called Pensacola, Florida. It's a place where I was born and raised, and it's a place where I have the honor of pastoring alongside my wife, Mylena, and our incredible team, All Nations Worship Assembly of Pensacola. And we're so excited to be able to do this. We get to do this. Uh, My wife is actually preaching right now, I believe. So I am praying for her. Please pray for her. Um, And it is just an honor to be here. There's a profound gratitude that I feel. Barbara Brown Taylor once said that being a guest transforms us in ways that being a host never could. So I thank you for the transformative opportunity to be your guest today. And I want to honor every staff member and pastor here, Pastor Eric Parks, and then also Pastor Steve Carter and the incredible team here, Carrington, Lauren, everybody. Can you give them a hand for serving you? Final thing is, um, hey, I am a second-generation Black Pentecostal preacher. Um, And some of y'all tilted your head to the side and said, well, what does that mean? That just simply means sometimes I talk fast and loud, so don't be alarmed. I get excited about this gospel. I get excited about this God that we serve. Um, So I'm preparing you now. Can I do that? Is that okay? Acts chapter 11 says this, verse 22, it says, News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Verse 24 says, He, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And here's the key phrase, the key sentence. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Will you bow with me? God, your kingdom come. Your will be done at Forest City Church as it is in heaven. We want nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And would you do us a favor? Would you do today, God, exceedingly? abundantly above all that we can ask or think and we'll give you glory honor and praise in Jesus name and all God's children said if you listen closely enough you can hear the sound of disappointment a group of followers have huddled in a private room scared for their lives wondering what they should do next Unfortunately for them, their leader has been killed in public. Assumed to be a revolutionary, this leader was made a public spectacle to discourage others from following in his example. Now, this story has played itself out numerous times over the course of human history, but the time that I am thinking of and introducing us into occurred 2,000 years ago on a day that theologians call Holy Saturday or Silent Saturday. Day after Good Friday, ironically named, the day where Jesus, our Lord and Savior, this Jewish rabbi, assumed revolutionary, was crucified. They hung him high and they stretched him wide and this Jesus had followers and these followers were then rocked. Even though Jesus had prophesied this is what would happen, 
These followers were rocked with concern and confusion and uncertainty. And and I've got to use my holy imagination. I don't know specifically what was said because the scripture does not tell us. But I feel that one of the disciples must have looked around and at one point blurted out something like this. This should not have happened. There's nothing worse than surprise disappointment. There's nothing worse than unexpected pain. And the disciples are looking around and they're saying, this should not have happened. You know, when I think about God, there are many attributes that we could reference about the God we serve, the God that we worship. If I pass the mic around to every person in here, hundreds of people would give hundreds of different words and examples to describe this almighty God. Someone might stand up and say, God is love. Has anyone ever experienced the love of God? Someone, uh, someone else might stand up and say, God is gracious. And is anyone glad that they serve a God full of grace? Someone else might say, God is merciful. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is a merciful God. Then some people might transition from his attributes to his actionables. They might say, God is a healer. He's Jehovah Rapha. Someone else might stand up and say, God is a provider. He provides even when we don't have. Another person like people back home, they would say something like, God is a way maker. He makes a way where there is no way. But of all these great attributes, I doubt anybody will say the word that undergirds this text and undergirds much of our understanding and personal experience with this God that we say we worship and we serve I would submit to you, Forest City Church, that God is all of those things, but God is something else. God is unexpected. God is unexpected. God does things unconventionally. As a matter of fact, if I were to tag Acts, the book that we've been in over the past 10 weeks, if I were to tag it with a tagline or a subtitle, I would call it the unlikely movements of an unexpected God. Now, I know chosen sounds really good, but maybe they could put that as a subtitle, right? Because I kind of like that. The unlikely movements of an unexpected God. Sometimes God allows things that don't make sense. And it's interesting because I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like that might be where we're at today. Encountering the unlikely movements of an unexpected God, if I listen closely enough, I can hear the sound of disappointment. Not 2,000 years ago on Silent Saturday, I can hear the sound of disappointment right now. People looking around asking themselves, why did this happen? Someone saying to themselves, their hearts crying because they don't feel as though they have permission to say it in the presence of God. This should not have happened. God is unexpected. God can't be bound or boxed in. God can't be tamed or toned down. He's unexpected. Rockford seems like a more refined place than Pensacola, but back home we would say something like, God moves different. God acts different. God carries himself different. He's unexpected. And the truth of the matter is, it catches us off guard. But if we look in the scriptures, we can see that this God has always been unexpected. Think about this. The God who we serve came down to serve us. That's unexpected. That doesn't make any sense. It wasn't his fault that we sinned. It was our fault. But he said, I'm going to come down 
and make a way for you because you can't make a way for yourself. That's unexpected. And then when he came down, I would have expected him to be born into royalty. But instead, he's born into carpentry. What type of God is this? He's unexpected. And then I would have expected him to choose all the best rabbis and young teachers and preachers in the Jewish seminaries. But instead, he chooses fishermen and zealots and tax collectors and sex workers. Oh, and women. Why in the world would he do that? In that culture, women would have been marginalized. They wouldn't have been able to follow the rabbis. What? Are you kidding me? Who is this God? He's unexpected. And then he's not simply a political revolutionary who came to establish a kingdom, but he says his kingdom is not of this world. That's unexpected. And then he says he's he's fighting death. Uh, That's unexpected because I thought he was fighting the Roman Empire. And then, catch this, he beats death by dying. What type of God is this? He's unexpected. It doesn't make any sense. And then he rises three days later. Acts 1 tells us that the time he should be dominating, he disappears. What type of God is this? He's unexpected. And then in Acts chapter 2, he spreads his church by making all his followers look drunk. And then he puts people together who don't speak the same language, but they're all hearing the same thing. Huh? That's unexpected. It doesn't make sense. And then we find out in Acts 4 that he's choosing people who are unlearned and ain't never been to, excuse me, have not ever been to school. That's unexpected. And then in Acts chapter 7, he lets his top dog, Stephen, get killed in public. And then in Acts chapter 9, he chooses the guy who had Stephen killed to replace him. Is this making sense to y'all? He's unexpected. He's different. He moves different. And, And it strikes me because if we don't embrace this, we'll have a frustrated life with God. And I think there's one word in the English language that summarizes what would be our frustration with a God who is unexpected. It's a word that starts with an S, but it's not sin. The word is should. The word should has separated people from God more than any other word. It should be this way. It should have happened like this. Don't delude yourself. We all have made that comment in one way or another. This shouldn't have happened, God. I shouldn't have found myself in this place. They shouldn't have left me. This family member shouldn't have passed away. I shouldn't have been diagnosed with this. I shouldn't have been here. Have you ever looked around and you asked the question, why in the world is God allowing this to happen? If you're going to be a Christian, those who in Acts 11.25 were called Christians, if you're going to stand in that line, I'm here to tell you today, Forest City Church, you have to embrace the unlikely movements of an unexpected God. You must embrace it. Don't clap yet because it might cost you everything. Don't get excited yet because it might be harder than you expect. But but here's the good news. Before we get into our text, can I tell you something? Just because God is unexpected doesn't mean he's unloving. He's different, but he's with you in the different. 
He's taking you in unlikely movements, but he will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is what Peter found out in Acts chapter 11. And in Acts chapter 11, after Acts chapter 10, Peter is hanging with people he's not supposed to be hanging with. Acts chapter 11 tells us something fascinating. In verse 1, it tells us that the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Huh? Unexpected. They were just preaching to their own people. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, catch this, you went into the wrong house. That's the Burns translation. It comes out in 2025. (laughs) You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate ribs with them. Huh? Can I tell you some things? God is sometimes going to give you unlikely directions. Have you ever taken a wrong turn and you knew based upon the scenery you weren't supposed to be where you were? Something looked around and something didn't look right. You looked at the houses, you're like, nah, it's not supposed to be this color. You went here and said, I'm not supposed to see woods and forest. I'm supposed to be on a main road. And sometimes, if we're being honest, Apple Maps will take you the wrong way. They need to get their maps safe. What's going on? Where are we? And I'm sure the people were asking themselves, why did God send you there? You ever ended up in an unlikely place? A place that doesn't make sense? Oh, don't think geography or topography. Think in your spirit. Have you ever ended up in a season that didn't make sense? You ask the question, why am I here? She said, it's today for me. She says, speak to my situation. Have you ever found yourself back in the principal's office for your child again? Am I getting too close? (laughs) Have you ever found yourself back in marriage counseling again? Have you ever found yourself back in the mental institution and hospital again? And you're asking yourself, hold up, God, you're supposed to be good, huh? What's going on? Why are you giving me unexpected directions? I should not be here. I shouldn't be with the uncircumcised people. I should be with the people who look like me. I should be in my comfortable place. Can I tell you something? Comfort is the enemy of our growth. Denzel Washington put it like this, the great theologian Denzel Washington. He put it like this. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. You know the thing that'll take you out? Not a hard direction, not a hard destination, a comfortable place. And sometimes for a city church, God is going to make you a little uncomfortable. And when he makes you uncomfortable, he's making you uncomfortable not to harm you, but to help your growth. Because catch this. In every place you are in, God is inviting you into something. I'm not the type of person that believes in the theology that God ordains every singular situation. 
We know that we live in a broken and a fallen world, a world that has many problems and issues, a world in which things happen that are outside of God's design. So I'm not the type of person who would stand up here and say, God intended for you to be in pain. God wants for you to be going through difficulty. But no, here's what I'm saying. No matter where you may find yourself, he can still invite you into a place that's closer to him. So I'm here to tell the parents who have found themselves in the principal's office yet again for their children that God is inviting you to recognize that you don't have to be perfect as a mother or a father, but he is the father above all, and he is the everlasting father, and he is over your kids even before you are. I'm here to tell those who are stuck in marriage counseling because they have irreconcilable differences that God is the great reconciler of our relationships. I'm here to tell those who find themselves in mental hospitals and and struggling on medication, I'm here to tell you God is with you right there. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Wherever you find yourself, God is inviting you closer to him. And he invites Peter closer to him and gives him a vision in the place he shouldn't have been. Sometimes we don't get our greatest instruction in the four walls of the church. Sometimes it's on mission outside of the church building. And Peter, in responding to these people in Acts chapter 11, he tells him, listen, I'm as confused as you are. But let me tell you what happened. Went through this, went to to Joppa, had this vision, had this dream, and God communicated to me. And then he says this in verse 15. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. What? Y'all ever read the Bible and go, huh? I don't study the Bible in in, in coffee shops. I don't study the Bible in in, in person. I'm walking around. I'm arguing with the text. I'm saying, God, what does this mean, huh? Am I the only one? Y'all making me seem like I'm weird. You don't write down your journal, huh? What's going on with this? It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't register. So what you're telling me is the Holy Spirit came on them in the same way that he came on the disciples in Acts chapter 2, huh? You know, sometimes God will make not not just give you unlikely directions. Sometimes God will make, catch this, unlikely connections. For City Church, you're probably more mature than I am, but can I, can I be honest with you? You know what I don't like? I don't like when God uses people I don't like. (laughs) Why y'all laughing? Is that just me? I know it can't just be me. I'm looking at God like, you're prospering them? I got a problem with them. How are you blessing the people I got beef with? You see what they said to me on Facebook? What's going on? How are you blessing the people? Oh, because, see, I, I, I must have got it twisted. I'm sorry. I like grace until I have to give it. We like mercy until we got to measure it out for somebody else. And what I found is God will extend and expand our connections in order to challenge whether or not The grace of God has truly reached us because God has enough grace for all of our situations and our neighbors and, catch this, our enemies too. 
in that time, the Gentiles were seen as pagans. The Gentiles would have been kept at arm's length. The Gentiles would not have received the same things that the Jews would have received. And in this, in this context, Peter is saying, wait, something has changed. Verse 16, he says, then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's, whoo? Who was I to think that I could block God from touching the people who I would never talk to? Can I encourage you with something? If you're looking around and you're asking yourself, why am I in church with people who look like this? I didn't mean to point to you. I'm sorry. I was just saying in general. <laughs> this. This. Why am I in church with them? Ask yourself, what is God trying to teach you about the unlikely, unexpected reality of his grace, his mercy, and his favor? Because catch this, when you realize what God saved you from, you'll realize you're just as unlikely as them. Not a singular person in here is likely to be saved by God. But Paul says, by grace, through faith, we have been saved. And it's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. So if I receive the gift, I can't hoard the gift for myself. I have to say, God, would you give the gift to my neighbor and my enemy and the person I don't like and the marginalized and the people I think are nasty? Give them all gifts. Because that's how I know grace is really amazing. It's unlikely. And the things that should divide us are actually put in place to show us how powerful we are united. Do not allow people to tell you that you should be separate because you're different. Do not allow people to convince you that you should be distant because you don't all do the same things. No, there is a blessing in the different. There is a blessing in the unlikely connection. It goes on to say that these people, when they heard this, they said in verse 18, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Do you rejoice when one sinner repents? Do you rejoice when one person makes a decision? Do you rejoice when one unlikely person meets the unexpected God? Uh, the text then changes to verse 19. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word, catch this, they didn't catch this word, only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is weird to me. I know you're thinking this is a great story. There's only one problem. They had to suffer to get there. It says that they were scattered because of persecution. They were scattered because, remember Acts 7, Stephen was killed in public for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, preaching this glorious gospel. 
They were scattered. Because sometimes you won't just get unlikely directions and make unlikely connections. Sometimes you will have to endure unlikely persecution. Sometimes you will have to endure the persecution of people who don't like you. Sometimes you will have to endure the persecution of painful lies told about you. Sometimes you'll have to endure being betrayed. Sometimes you'll have to endure being maligned. Sometimes you'll have to endure being uncomfortable because people simply do not appreciate what you are doing for God. But this is what I found about suffering. This is what I found about persecution. It's actually the greatest superpower of the church. Tertullian says this. He says that the blood of the martyrs, it's the seed of the church. It actually causes the church to expand. Why? Because what the enemy and the oppressors didn't realize is when they intended to scatter these disciples, they actually positioned these disciples. They scattered them and they intentionally forced them to go into places that had never heard about this Jesus. You know what I love about God, the unexpected God? He takes what the enemy means for evil. And he turns it around for your good. I love this about God because at the exact moment where you think you are out of options, where you can suffer no more, where God has bound you or the situation has bound you, God says, let me show you why I allowed you to go through this unlikely movement in the first place. I allowed you to do it so on the other end of it, you can see and have a testimony of, of the fact that I can bring you out of even the, the worst possible thing that you find yourself in. Amen. Do you realize that God can turn your mess into a message? Do you realize that God can turn your pain into purpose? Do you realize that God can turn your test into a testimony? I know it's cliches, but hear me. God will take even the worst possible situation and use it for your good. Use it for his glory. And here's what I know. That those who are facing the persecution that they're in right now, God is going to use it in ways that will shock you. God is going to use it in ways that surprise you. Those who have persecution from family members. Maybe it's for attending a church that's diverse. Maybe it's for attending a church where people look different from you. And you said, I feel like God has called me here, but, but I don't know. Like my family is telling me something else. And God wants to tell you today, obey me because even in your faithfulness, I'm teaching your family something. Even in your consistency, I'm teaching them something. And I'm displaying my diverse and beautiful character. It says here in our text that when the news reached them in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas down. They said, hang on, we got to send a guy who's full of faith in the spirit to vet whether or not this is real. Send him to Antioch. And Antioch was this beautiful place. It was a place of great diversity. It was a trade city. So it had great wealth and great prosperity. And there were a diversity of people that were there. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, watch this, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch too. That same guy that was killing Christians, he said, hey, come help us expand. 
Makes no sense. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Then it says this, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know, God will sometimes give you unlikely directions, allow you to make unlikely connections, be with you while you endure unlikely persecution. But the final thing is, he'll allow you to have and receive some unlikely descriptions. I know what you're thinking. This is powerful. This is a place where they're called Christians. I hope you realize that Christian was not intended to be a term of endearment. They called them this, mocking them. Look at those little Christ. Look at them going around, babbling. Look at them touching people and allegedly they get healed. Look at them praising. Look at them getting killed in public. What a waste. Little Christians. It was intended to be a slur. But they said, you know what? This kind of fits. You ever had somebody that labeled you in a thing that you were proud of? Look at this guy. He's eating salad. Look at him. You're like, okay, well, it's, it's kind of healthy. I don't. Look at this guy. He's kind. He smiles at people. Look at him in his pictures. He's smiling. It's like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't know what to tell you. Uh... They said, you know what? That's kind of a weird flex. You mocking us by calling us Christians? You know what? We're going to take what you mock us for and use it to represent God better. We're going to announce ourselves as the thing that you mock us with. And isn't that funny how society tries to label you and tries to tell you who you are? And God says, no, 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 don't worry about their labels. I'm going to take the thing that society says you are, and I'm going to turn it around to represent how great I am. Amen. And I'm here to tell somebody who's facing labels or have placed labels upon yourself that labels don't have the power to overcome the power of God. Labels should make you feel ashamed according to society, but labels could actually make us feel more bold. Because when people call us a nobody, we can look back at them and say, no, no, no. I know I'm somebody in God. When people say that we're failures, we can say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. When people say we're a mess, we can say, no, I'm meaningful and I matter to God. When people say that you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you can say, no, 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 that's what I used to be. But God allowed me to go through that substance abuse issue so that I could show that God is greater than the power of substances, that God is greater than the power of addiction. God is changing your label today. God is saying, those of you who were promiscuous, now you're faithful. Those of you who were liars, now you're truth tellers. Those of you who were addicted, now you're anointed and appointed. God is saying, those of you who were in pain, now you have a purpose. I'm here to tell you that God is going to change the label. He's going to change the label. He's going to make you stand up and say, I used to be ashamed of this. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to glory in the fact that God saved me from it so that somebody else who's facing it 
can see that God can bring them out too. I don't know about you, Forest City, but I'm excited that God saved me from something. I'm excited that God healed me from something. I'm excited that God delivered me from something. Those who used to be slaves are now liberated. Those who used to be discouraged are now delivered. Those who used to be pained out and used to be overwhelmed are now those who are overcomers. And I'm here to give you good news. God is going to take the label. And he's going to use it to glorify him. And maybe I'm alone, but I think there's at least five people in here who have been labeled by something in life. And maybe you place a label on yourself and God says today, it's time for you to get free. If you've ever been labeled and you say today, I'm not allowing that label to keep me back anymore. Can you stand to your feet? If that's you, can you stand to your feet? All across this room, hundreds of people are dropping labels. You can't shame me with that anymore. It's the thing that makes me bold. It's the thing that gives me power. Can we stand all across this room with the people who have stand, who have stood up? Can we stand? Can we lift up our hands? It's just a sign of surrender. Lift up our hands. Oh, we thank you, God, that you're unexpected. And you allow the unlikely. But you allow the unlikely so that we can just show how great you are. And God, I pray right now that your spirit over these next five minutes will sweep across this room and lift heavy burdens, lift unhealthy labels, lift everyone who was unlikely out of it into their purpose, into glorifying and praising you. Now, can you do me a favor and put your hands down? Can you keep your eyes closed across this room? If you're here today and you're saying, I've heard about this Jesus. I've heard about these Christians, but honestly, I don't even know if I believe in this, but, but I think I might want to. Because if you're telling me he can make sense of my life, and if you're telling me that he can save me from my sins, you're telling me that he overcame death and disappointment and discouragement, then that's a God I want to believe in. And if you're saying, hey, I want to make a decision to follow this Jesus, to walk after this Christ. And today's that day. Can you do me a favor? Can you lift up your hands across this place? Yeah. All across this room. All across this room. I see you. I see you. All across this room, there are hands of people who are making the decision to lay down what they've had and follow after this Jesus. So all together, can we pray a prayer? There's nothing, there's no power in the prayer itself. There's no power in the prayer itself. The power is in the belief in your heart. So I want us all together to say, God, say it out loud. Say, God, I thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I believe he's alive right now to be the king of my heart. Jesus, save me, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me, make me new, and I will serve you and love you and follow you for the rest of my life. Can we give God praise for those who prayed that for the first time? Oh, you ought to do better than that. This is a time to rejoice. The Bible says when one repents, the angels rejoice.